How it all started was this. I had been doing a summer in Japan where I was worked in my father's dental practice as a newly qualified dentist. We're talking about 1965. And when I left... I went to join some friends in San Francisco and drove right across America with them to the East Coast. And then I had a few days left before I had to get back to England. And I went to visit a friend of mine in New York City. And in 1965, New York was a fantastic place where almost anything was possible. It was a 24-hour city, and somehow having an English accent and wearing, as I did, a green corduroy suit, I could open all doors, etc. By chance, I happened to pick up a copy of Sight and Sound, which is a well-known English film magazine and the summer 1965 edition had in it an article by somebody called Louise Brooks and it was about her filming with a German director called Pabst and the making of a famous picture called Pandora's Box Anyway, I read this article and I became absolutely fascinated by this woman and the way she wrote and also by her appearance. She was extremely glamorous in a sort of 1920s sort of way. It got it into my head because the city made everything seem so possible that I might try and find her and see whether she was still alive, which was not certainty by any means. So I took myself off to the New York Public Library and there they had a whole lot of documents and so on. And somehow I managed to get the name of somebody I thought might know her and I did somehow get in touch with this chap and eventually I managed to get an address for her. She was still alive. She was living in Rochester, New, upstate New York. And I sat down to write a letter. This was a very difficult letter because I had to explain why I was a fan of hers without having seen any of her films. And it took me about a day and a half.
September the 3rd, 1965. And, and then I give an address to which she can write if she does. I am from England, in America for the first time, and leaving in about a fortnight. I should like to be able to tell you that I am a fan of yours, but in a way it would be absurd, because I haven't seen any of your pictures yet, which makes this a little difficult to explain. What I have seen are five articles in magazines, and the stills of you in the photographic section of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. It was there, talking to the organiser, that I discovered that there are others as well who admit to a certain feeling of excitement and affinity without knowing exactly why. Indeed, there seems to be an underground movement of fans who haven't seen a Louise Brooks picture, but are nonetheless engaged by a kind of Louise Brooks mystique. I'm afraid this letter must seem weak in the light of the well-informed attention paid you usually, and the following request can have little grounding on reason or in merit. You may even think it impertinent. I would like very much to come to Rochester to see you, even briefly, to hear about the things you did in films, the people you knew, and especially, if you would permit it, some of what might have been published in your book. I can pretend no association with the cinema except that of interest. I am neither historian nor journalist, and the only thing you might consider remotely in my favour is that I would be freer from certain misconceptions than, say, the audience outside the Gloria Palast or the French boy who came by to see you last year. I know from Mr Carr that you value your privacy and so I do not expect too much your acquiescence in this. Besides, it is very short notice. But if you will allow me to come, I shall be most grateful to you for that. If not, please accept my thanks for and congratulations upon your magazine articles, of which I hope there will be more. When I get home, I hope to make myself a more legitimate fan by seeing your films. Yours sincerely, John Besford. So I eventually sent this letter off and uh, waited. And, and a few days later, a reply came back. The 6th of September, 1965. Dear Mr. Besford, I will be glad to see you if you come to Rochester. Let me know in detail. My private home is... And then there's a telephone number. And then she finishes. You are sane, aren't you? Regards, Louise Brooks. I was very excited about this, and I, feeling that anything was possible, I, I phoned up the local radio station and said, would you please put out an announcement that I would like a lift to Rochester tomorrow <laughs> from Cape Cod, I think I was. And the man said, oh, I'm sorry, he said, I'd have to ask the manager, he said, this is a classical radio station, I don't think we can really interrupt the concert to get you a free ride, but I'm going to Boston if it's any help, so I said that would be lovely, and he collected me, and then he left me, and then I got a hitch to eventually Rochester, and I turned up at um, Louise Brooks's flat.
she welcomed me in and sat down in a, a, a chair and I had my I had a, a wicker kind of suitcase like a picnic hamper actually and I really did look most peculiar with a three-piece suit in corduroy and it was pretty hot weather she sat me down and almost the first thing she said to me was are you homosexual And I was completely stunned by this question. Nowadays, it would not be so odd. But in 1965, this was something one was used to being asked. So I said no and looked at her surprised. She said, well, she she said, I just want to, to know how to approach you, which I immediately thought was very sensible. Once I'd sort of recovered from this rather startling question, we started to talk about film history and about her life and so on. And we actually talked, I made a note of it, for 36 hours without stopping. It was the most exact. She was, at that point, by far the most exciting person I had ever met and remains one of the most exciting people I've ever met to this day. What I learned about her was that she was born in Kansas, I think 1908, and she wanted to become a dancer, and her mother was a kind of thwarted opera singer I think or actress but anyway Louise became quite a talented young dancer and joined a group called the Denny Denny Shorm Shorm Dancers Ruth's and Denny's and Ted Shorm this was when she was about 17 she was seen dancing when they went on tour in the States and then she got a job with the what were called the George White Scandals, which I think were based in New York City. It was while she was there that she was... And then she was recruited briefly, she told me, by the... And became one of the Ziegfeld... Appearing in a film in Hollywood, and she got signed up by And then took part in a number of films, maybe, I don't know, 30, and became... She told me she was getting paid something like $1,000 a week which in 1922 was absolutely absolute the first star ever to have her own swimming pool. So she lived the life of luxury and, and met all, all sorts of famous people and had affairs with all sorts of famous people as, as time went she on. She may even have had an affair with Greta Garbo. And I know that she had one with Charles Chaplin. So she was definitely the, the, the um, new girl on the block. I remember her telling me about a party she went to in Kensington in London where Tallulah Bankhead was and that everybody was snorting cocaine and some young man was foolish enough to try and stop Miss Bankhead from doing it or uh, warning her about it. And I remember she said, um, young man, young man, don't tell me what to do about cocaine she said I've been taking it for 17 years and I ought to know and then the talkies came 
as the technology got better. About 1928, that, that, that her voice wasn't right and, and so on, which wasn't, you know, but she knew wasn't true. She wouldn't be getting the pay rise she was expecting. It was, and she decided that she'd really had enough and she was sort of intellectually, sufficiently arrogant, I suppose, in her attitude to things. And she just said, well, forget And the, the film was going to be called Pandora's Box. And this man, G.W. Pabs, had been trying to get her for sign up a whole Marlena year and Dietrich he played this role when the cable came through that Louise Brooks was actually available so that's what she noticed that in the hairdressing salons in Paris everybody was advertising coiffeur a la Louise Brooks that she was already a kind of smash hit over in Europe and the, the and she told them no the and that really screwed up her Reputation in Hollywood. She was regarded as a kind and of. She did one with John Wayne, I seem to remember. But career sort of conked out, really, because she upset everybody. And she, she when was. When the film work ran out, she was sort of destitute. I she think. worked as a sales girl in, I think it was Macy's in New York. And he arranged for her to come and get a flat in Rochester. And she got a. That was how she was, and that's how I found her. It became a very affectionate relationship because we had, although I didn't have a lot to contribute about anything to do with her life or so on, I was obviously a good listener and I was able to make remarks which amused her or whatever. And no doubt, you know, it was nice for her to have a young man around. And so it was that we would just became really very very close and and indeed fell into bed together that was also very pleasant and and she was really really nice about it and became very fond of me i suppose i stayed four or five days with her and then i went back to the uk and we corresponded she was an instinctively very generous person she gave me Lots of photographs, some of which, well, all of which I have. And I've still got photographs which she wrote inscriptions on the back to me. And she was a very, she was a very warm and generous person. And uh, the letters that went back and forth were just affectionate letters. This one, which is dated, this letter is dated the... 13th of November 1965 she finishes the letter love to you darling be a bad boy and have a good time and many thanks for the books and remembering my birthday Louise after two years I thought I really need to see her again because she now turned 60 she was more than 60 and I thought I'd go and join her for Christmas, which I did, and uh, was very, very warmly received as before, and, and it was as if we hadn't really... Uh, we really carried on as we had before. What I came to know about her was that she just... She never beat about the bush. She, she was the most directly honest person I've ever met. There was no diplomacy about her at all. She was 
completely tactless uh, and, and so on, but she went straight to the point of everything and it was terribly exciting. She was a star in my life, you know, she was, she was somebody absolutely distinctive and admirable and it was just very, it was very interesting and, and very good fun while, it, while the weather was good, you know, till things turned bad. I did something, and I'm not quite sure what it was. I went off to visit the dental school uh, in Rochester, which is quite famous, and with the result that I was a little bit late getting back to Louise, and I phoned her to say I was going to be, I think it was about an hour or an hour and a half late. And um, when I got back to her apartment, I found it completely changed. Louise, she was absolutely furious with me for not being on time and she'd been drinking quite a lot and things went from bad to worse. Eventually, about a day and a half later, I just felt I had to leave and, and it was just a very sad end to what had been a really pleasant relationship and and I, to this day, I'm not exactly sure what I did. And she never, she never specifically told me, but she just became abusive. I have been asked whether I thought she was in love with me. And in a funny way, I think at one point she probably was. Um, I don't know. I don't know for sure because she never actually said anything like that. But the the, the warmth of her letters would suggest that she probably was, because she her letters were extremely affectionate, without being explicit. But they were extremely affectionate in in the way that somebody who loved somebody else would write. I just feel very happy that I had the opportunity of meeting somebody so extraordinary and so beautiful, even in her, even in the age when I knew her approaching 60, um, she was still extremely beautiful. I still think of her with tremendous admiration and, I mean, she was absolutely one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. It's the end of Series 2. Thank you for listening over the past four months. We hope you've enjoyed the podcasts and portraits as much as we've had a ball putting them together. We'd like to thank our interviewees for taking part. 
It's been so, so much, much fun, fun sitting down with each of you, not knowing what it is you'll say, and coming away with a kaleidoscope of stories that have warmed us, shaken us, and lingered with us long after pressing the stop button. Thank you to our photographers, especially Tori Ferenc, who continues to kill it at capturing everything about our interviewees that audio simply can't. See the portraits at everyoneelse.org and on Instagram on the handle at everyonestudio, where we post more images of our subjects and the things they talk about in their interview. You can follow us on Twitter using the same handle to find out more about our next series. There and on our website, you can also find out how to subscribe, which you can do by iTunes, and we're now available via our new pals at Acast. So, all the more scope for catching us when we're back up and running in a few months. If you have a story you're thinking about sharing, or you know someone you think we should record with, get in touch by email on studio at everyoneelse.org. We will love hearing from you. Finally, everyone else has been nominated for the Best New Podcast Prize at the British Podcast Awards. Whilst you can't help bring us over the line in this category, you can cast a vote for the Listener's Choice Award, for which the page is britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. You just put in everyone else in the search box, press our podcast icon when it comes up, and enter your email which also puts you in the running to win two tickets to the awards ceremony at the end of April. Get voting! But for now, thanks from me, Eva Krisiak, and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs>